welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? Yo, so as the consummate prof- professional that I am, I went back and, you know, I always do the film study on an episode each week. And I got to say, I think I've got 13 out of the 15 picks wrong last week. I was, <laughs> I'm just, I got to apologize to the to the general public. Come on here, act like a basketball aficionado. I don't know what the hell is going on. I want to change almost every pick. You told me it's not allowed. I'm beside myself. Pound the bulls under. We can't, <laughs> but you should. Please do it out there. Well, I'm so glad you outed yourself because I was not going to let you get away with it. Um, so for the listeners, Nitin sends a message to me today saying, can I change a couple of my picks? Um, and it's I was like, no. before the season. We did. Look. look. Yeah, but but those uh, win totals were also, you know, all that was priced in. They haven't, like, ch- they didn't change. Don't talk to um, me about pricing. Did you go to Booth? You're talking to Fisher yeah. Markets here? <laughs> Jesus. But, uh, but, yeah, here you are trying to flip-flop your picks. You know, you're telling people confidently what to, where to put their money on in this upcoming season, and now all of a sudden you're you're taking it back. So the you're Bulls, not getting away with that. The Bulls' defense looks horrific is all I can say. It does. But we do this every year. We overreact to preseason like crazy, and I'm sure – I mean, I think the Wizards are getting spanked by Detroit right now. I'm not sure if the game's still going on. Thankfully, like, it mercifully ended, which <laughs> apparently to that as well. Russell Westbrook decides he doesn't need preseason while even LeBron and AD are out here playing. Kawhi's playing, but for some reason, Russell is a no-go. So I guess yeah. we won't actually see him till the till the tip next week. And weren't you talking about a four seed for the Wizards or something like that? So like, let's... Let's not read too much Our, into the The post. Wizards defense is another horrific, like, just fucking clown show. But um, I don't know. Hey, before we do over-unders, we need to talk really quickly. Last week, we said Milwaukee. Um, of course, we, we actually, I think, all went under. Um, mostly under the, you know, the idea that they've done the regular season thing. Now they're going to gear up for the playoffs, whatever. Since then, the major news of Giannis signing a Supermax uh, came through the wire what are your thoughts there? And to frame the conversation, so he's now committed to Milwaukee for the next six years, right? One plus the five-year extension. If I put the over-under on rings at one and a half, what would you say? Under. Under. Half. Easy. It's hard, man. It's hard to win a ring. I think half a ring would have been a good over-under because then I'd think about it. But it's either going to be zero or one. And Look, I'm, I was happy with the signing. Um, small market teams rejoice everywhere because, look, as a Kings fan, that's what you want to see. You want to see yourself able to keep that guy who is a Hall of Fame talent, uh, two-time MVP winner, potentially. I don't think he'll win it a third time, but, you know, he'll be in the race at least. Yeah. Uh, And so to keep a guy like that's big. Now, who knows, in two years, three years, he asks for a trade. They have that 15% trade kicker also, which which makes it dicey. Um, But, look, I'm just glad he's staying to win for the the Bucks, and I think it's kind of it goes against the, the, what we've seen the last couple of years, where uh, you know Anthony Davis forcing his way out, Kawhi Leonard, you know, getting his his way with the Clippers, um, or with the with the Raptors, I, I should say. So I'm happy, man. Happy for him. Happy for small market teams everywhere. I is it so? Rosillo brought this up on his podcast this week. Is it really a win for small market, or is it just a win for Milwaukee? Right, like his example is: what does this have to do with Zion making a decision, or the next guy like SGA making a decision? Like ultimately, if you're in a small or John Morant, 
if you're in a small market, it's you're going to be your call to stay or not stay. It's not like Giannis's decision in 2020 is going to have any impact on who you are as a person or what you care about. Like Giannis and Dame Lillard and guys like that clearly cared more about the continuity, you know, being able to continue living in those cities or whatever reason they wanted. Doesn't mean it's going to translate to every small market. Yes, I mean, it's a win for small market in that regard. But ultimately, I think it's it's more isolated on just what the Bucks are able to do and 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 kind of like, testament to the organization that they've built versus what it means for, you know, how Memphis operates or how Indiana operates. I think it's a, it's a reflection of this, this generation of players though. Like I think it signals that, and, and I agree, like a lot of other players, none of them are going to make a decision based on what Giannis did, but seeing that Giannis made the decision to stay gives us hope that other players, you know, these young guys will do the same. And, and there's something to be said about that. Guys like De'Aaron Fox, um, they're a lot more loyal. It's weird than like the previous generation of guys who uh, seem kind of, you know, like in the, the guys in the 2005 to 2015, the guys drafted there seem a lot more likely to move than the guys in the recent draft classes. That's now, because they are early. moving recently because they're on their third contract, right? Like you got to think about which one of those dudes that's been in all these rumors and moves, et cetera actually didn't sign that rookie scale max. Every single guy did. Anthony Davis, uh, Jimmy Butler, Carmelo Anthony, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook, all of these dudes, Kevin Durant, all these guys that signed LeBron James. I can keep going. All the dudes that are now on the move and they're now trying to saying, hey, years 8, 9, 10, 11, I'm going to be more uh, mindful of my opportunity. Restricted free agency doesn't allow you to go anywhere um, for a minimum of seven years, mostly eight or nine years. And so that's why you're seeing like De'Aaron Fox, of course he's going to be fucking loyal. They put $180 million in front of his face. And no player in NBA history in restricted free agency has ever turned down a max. And that yep. includes all the guys that we think now are being selfish and sort of like um, trying to like take the league, uh, you know, hostage so i think it's going to happen again like Giannis has proved that on his third contract he actually chose to stay right this is atypical to your point um whereas a guy like jason tatum we'll see what happens right but he just started his new deal or just signed the new deal so we're still pretty far away even fox out of buy all those guys who just signed their max we're still pretty far away to see how they're going to react in four or five years time um if you told me to bet right now if, if De'Aaron Fox plays for the Kings in seven years, I'd say no fucking way. And that's not because of his loyalty. It's because the franchise and he might not want to change. And it's unlikely that they're going to be such in such contention for so long so that he's good with just sticking around. Um, yeah, look, th- there, there are a lot of there's always going to be situations where it's a mutual parting or not mutual, but in the sense that the team's not winning. The team wants to trade the star. But. I think my point is if the team's is winning, like Milwaukee clearly is, they're in contention. Giannis is is playing well. He says he loves it there. You hope that if both those thing those things are happening, that a player is going to stay. And I think that that will start to hold true more as we see with these this coming set of players. Um, not to say none of these guys will move. Of course not. The Kings could still suck, and they're going to have to part ways with De'Aaron Fox. Um, I don't know, man. I think there's a reason small market teams are happy. It's not, we all know that just because Giannis did this doesn't mean all our players are going to do the same thing, but it just shows that the Supermax, look, the Supermax has a lot of flaws, but at least it's helping you keep that top end talent. Now we know the problem is that you can get a Supermax being an all NBA third team guy. 
which it's like wall, right? It's going to put surround you with a lot of problems. But if you have an MVP type guy, at least there's hope that you can hold on to him. And yeah. for a while, it was like, why would Giannis, this two-time MVP guy who's trying to win titles, stay in Milwaukee? Well, guess what? He did. So that's what I agree. I'm away. All right, let's move on. We got Western Conference over-unders. This is the conference in my mind that up to 14 teams right now could probably say that they are angling for a playoff spot. Now, of course, we know that most all half will fall short, but I think maybe not 14, maybe 12 or 13 are legitimately thinking that they could be in that top eight. And at the very least, 14 are thinking they can at least find their way into the play-in tournament. So this is the conference that I'm really excited about because I think there's a lot of mid-tier talent and a lot of movement that we – you know, we talked about the East top teams mostly are running it back. And I think in the West, there's a little bit more movement. The West is going to be interesting as always. Um, I'm I'm very curious to see. I think we're going to actually disagree a lot more on these picks. I think with the Eastern Conference, for the most part, we were pretty much in line. Right. But I think we're going to start. See, and, we, uh, you know, just for the audience, we haven't seen each other's picks yet. So. It, anything's going to be a surprise. 50-50 that we agree. Yeah, it's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious to see what you think because and, – and also there's been a lot of – you know, we didn't even talk about James Harden and the rumor that came out – not rumor, but the report that came out today that uh, the Sixers are thinking about putting Ben Simmons in a package for him. Yeah. Houston's reportedly asking for three first-round picks. So that could obviously shake up what happens in the West as well. And Nothing can so. stop me from taking the Houston over, just FYI. I don't care if they <laughs> James, trade James Harden for Tracy McGrady, current day Tracy McGrady. I'm still taking the over. I, I, I knew that before we even started this. But okay, so let's dive right into it. Um, and we're going to start with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this is a team that, you know, coming off a quite a hyped uh, postseason showing, despite kind of flaming out, um, the Luka hit the game winner. They were pretty competitive against the Clippers. And, you know, they last year over an 82-game season finished with 47. Their projection this year is 48.4 over an 82-game season. So one game better. Um, They were the top offensive team in the league, one of historically one of the best offensive teams in NBA history, Uh, 18th in defense. They're bringing back um, a lot of the core guys in Luka, Porzingis, Hardaway Jr., but the big kind of switch up with their lineup is um, they lost Seth Curry. They brought in Josh Richardson, so trading offense for defense a little bit. Um, still have Powell uh, and a few of the other same guys. So, Dallas, what do you got? I'm going to, as much as I love Luka Doncic, I'm going under here. And the reason why is that I think this team is one injury away from free-falling, especially, and specifically to Luka, right, who already, by the way, reported to camp out of shape. Um, so in terms of fat watch, we've got Harden showing up like he hasn't stepped out of an in and out or strip club in the last six months. We got, you know, Zion is actually looking pretty decent. And then Luca over here, he's out of shape. Mark Cuban was on the BS podcast this week talking about how he was surprised by the start of the league year and therefore wasn't at the peak of where he wanted to be coming into the season. Don't love to hear that. I think Luca is the prohibitive MVP favorite right now, and I'm not sure why. Uh, for him to win MVP, they're going to have to finish with the top two seed. I don't see that happening, especially with Porzingis being out for at least a month or two. And, you know, with his knee troubles, there's no guarantee that when he comes back, it'll be for good. I love the addition of Josh Richardson, and I love the fact that they 
uh, drafted Tyrell Terry from Stanford, who's going to maybe step in in that Seth Curry role. I think there's still too much on Luca's shoulders. Now, I think this team is going to be very good. He's going to continue to put up monster numbers. But in terms of, uh, you know, where they're currently slated in the West, which is that top four seed, I don't see that from them yet. And I'm going under. All right. All right. Well, I am also going under on the Dallas Mavericks. Now, uh, agree with a lot of what you said. The the funny thing about Luca looking a little chunky, um, it was very obvious from some of those pictures in the game. And I think, you know, these guys are back in Texas and uh, they're they're eating well before the start. And everything's of the open. So actually, <laughs> we need to be factoring in COVID restrictions as part of our. We kind of did that last week with Miami's nightclubs, but we should have also thought about indoor dining. That's true. All the Chicago and New York players are probably svelte right now. They haven't been inside <laughs> a restaurant in fucking a year. I mean, think about the California guys too. That's exactly the strictest about Steph, everything. Steph um, Curry looks great. He had seven threes tonight. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm going under, I think, look, it's a modest improvement of two wins, but Porzingis isn't available to start the season. He actually played, I mean, he played, I think, 57 games last year, but out of 72, that's a pretty good number given his health um, history. They traded offense for defense. Now, this is why I actually think they're going to be worse. Or not worse, but they're going to be kind of middling because they were a historically efficient offensive team last year, and that's what carried them in the regular season. Now, in the postseason, it's going to help that they have Josh Richardson in. It's going to help that they short up their defense. But I think that not being that elite offensive team is going to cost them a couple wins in the regular season. They'll gladly do it, given that the roster is better primed for that postseason run. But I think it's going to hurt them in the the win column. And I just think there's a lot of high expectations for this team, man. Like, this is, like you said, Luka is MVP favorite. And a lot of eyes are going to be on this Mavericks team. A lot of people are expecting them to be a really good team. And I'd like to go fade the public. And so I'd rather go under than assume that they are going to be that juggernaut everyone's expecting. Yep. So I'm going with the under. Now, our executive producer, Kush. Now, he's also provided his commentary on, on over-unders for the West. We had to Dallas, bring him back. We had to bring him back. After we had to. So well we had to bring him back. He was a hit. I, you know, I was glad he and I were kind of on the same page for most of it last time. Um, and Kush says over on Dallas. He says in Luca, I trust this roster actually looks pretty bad, but fuck it, they were on pace for forty six wins last season, and this is just two more. Luca can do it. So a lot of faith in Luca. Um, although he does acknowledge the roster looks bad, so I don't know what to make of that. He went six of eighteen tonight against the Timberwolves. So he's getting back the game shape, man. What do you want from him? All right, so now let's go to the next team, the Denver Nuggets. Now Denver last year finished on track for fifty one point seven wins. This year the over under set at fifty point seven over eighty two. Now we all know Denver kind of lost in. The Western Conference Finals, after beating the Clippers around earlier, they were the fifth in offensive rating last year, 16th in defense. Bringing back Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr. is probably going to play a bigger role in their um, rotation this year. Millsap, Harris, Barden, Morris. So the same cast of characters. The big loss was really Jeremy Grant. So uh, I'll start with this one. For Denver, I am going over. And I think this team, this team is primed for a one or two seed in the regular season. And I really think they have a good shot at the one seed. 
the biggest questions really are going to be the losses of Jeremy Grant and Plumlee, um, because now you're relying more on Paul Millsap, who's clearly on the decline. Uh, he had kind of a spotty postseason. They did bring in Jermichael Green, which I think will will help plug in some of those holes. But outside of that, they're bringing back a lot of the same guys, and they're going to be healthy. Like Gary Harris and Will Barden were injured for a huge chunk of last year. They're going to be back. They're going to help shore up that defense and some of the struggles they had early in the season. And if you remember, Jokic looked terrible at the beginning of last season. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with his shape or what he's been looking like, but I think he's going to get off to a better start. And this is a team that's just going to crank away in the regular season and easily hit this over. So my people on the ground are telling me he's looking good. He got married this summer. <laughs> he's actually you know, kind of rethought of his whole offseason regiment. Ladies and gentlemen, my first lock, the Nuggets are a lock over. Um, okay. What you forgot, you, skate, you didn't forget it. You forgot one guy, and that's my boy, Bol Bol, who's going to play a big factor this year. He started. He's actually eligible for Rookie of the Year, uh, should be noted, because bubble games didn't count towards awards. So he actually didn't play until the bubble, and he's got a lot of meaningful reps down there, even if it's only in the regular season. He looks good already. He's crossing people up. He's running transition offense. Um, and maybe he provides some of what they lose with Miles Plumlee, or sorry, Mason Plumlee. Um, and you skated over Michael Porter Jr., who has 20-point-per-game potential this coming season if they give him the ball enough. I know he's indifferent defensively, to put it kindly, but I think the offensive spark he's going to provide as another shot creator next to Murray on the perimeter. And like you said, you know, Gary Harris is a guy who shot has totally abandoned him a couple seasons ago. But if he plays, he's a good defender. Uh, Will Barton is another good shot creator, another good defender, a long wing. The Nuggets are also a, very well aware that the Lakers and Clippers can beat them in a seven-game series. If the home court advantage is in L.A., there's no chance. If they get the home court advantage in Denver, at least in round two, maybe there's a fighting chance. And so that because of that, I think the Nuggets are going to take the regular season as hard as anybody. They have a lot of young legs. So outside of Millsap, there's really no concern on wearing down. This is a lock over. I actually thought about making this lock, and I didn't. I think I forgot my second lock. So I, only, I, I just probably should have Jokic. I look, I know you love Jokic. That's your guy. You, you know, you've been on the Jokic train for a while. Fine. Um, I can point to a lot of other players who you've been on that their hype train and they've crashed and burned. So I'll give you credit for Jokic, but let's not get too excited. Have Kush. you heard about uh, – wait, before we get to Kush, have you heard about Facundo Campazzo? Yeah, man. That's like – he's been unreal with some of these highlight passes. Spider-Man. Um, it reminds me of who's the guy who came to play for – was it the Mis- Clippers? Milos Teodosic. Yeah, like the same kind of hype coming but in. Everyone's was like, terrible. this guy can pass. <laughs> He'd have a couple great passes, highlight passes, but other than that, didn't really and do then much. Kyrie Irving would put him in the torture chamber and yeah. pick and roll, and then that was so, that. Composo, I'm, I'm, uh, he, he looks exciting, but I'm not, you know, holding my breath over him. So Kush for the Nuggets says over my pick for the number one seed in the West. Whoa, Murray hit a different level in the playoffs, and Jokic will probably win MVP. Bold Damn. Crap. They strike me as a quintessential regular season team that won't ever win the title. This may be a lock. On the same so page. We're all kind of on the same page with Denver. Is this one we should kind of, you know, empty have, our, our savings we should, on? We should fade ourselves is what I was going to say. 
we have our own group think developing on our WhatsApp chat, like you would see on <laughs> NBA Twitter. That's true. It could it could end badly. Okay, so we've done Dallas, we've done Denver. Now going on to the Golden State Warriors. So the Warriors last year, the worst team were they the worst team in yeah, the league? Yeah, they were. 18.9 wins. Um, this year projected for 41.6. Uh, last year, they finished 30th in offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating. But, of course, you throw that out given the injuries and kind of just a huge roster turnover. This year, they're bringing back Curry, Draymond, Wiggins, who joined them last year, Wiseman, the number two pick in the draft, Kelly Oubre, your boy, um, Eric Pascal, and Marcus Chris. That's their core rotation. And like I said, they're projected for 41.6. So where are you going with the Warriors? So I think I'm going to come to regret this. I'm going under on Golden State. And there's a very specific reason, right? Because they mortgage so much of their depth to have the like killer lineup of essentially four max guys, plus Iguodala, plus Livingston on a big contract. Um, they really did not have anything in the cupboard for when it all fell apart. So out goes Durant. Livingston, Iguodala, of course, the injuries to Clay, and suddenly you're left with Steph and a skeleton squad of players who, when Steph's on the court, will once again be the worst team in the league. When he's off the court, excuse me. And <laughs> so because of that, as much as I love Steph, and I think he's going to have a bounce back a year, he's also 32, right? He's not necessarily prime MVP level Steph Curry. We know Draymond is not in his prime. And I know Wiggins and, you know, Oubre and even Wiseman might play better just playing against such cerebral guys like um, like Curry and Draymond. But I think this team is aged out a little bit at the top end. And I don't trust any of these role players. Like, I'm sorry, Marquise Chris is not, you know, getting me to take the over here. I like Eric Pascal. You know, I think Wiseman's going to be good, but I also don't know that they have enough. Um, and I feel like every single time Curry touches the bench, this team is going to get massacred. Um, and that's not even accounting for a potential injury from a guy who, you know, although he's gotten over some of those early career injury issues, is still not necessarily the most sturdy player in the NBA. And so out of 72 games, if he plays 55 to 60, I could see them winning five out of the remaining ones. And I think that's going to ultimately carry them to the under. Okay, interesting. You're doubting Golden State. Interesting. I'm also going under. Uh, there's too many, too many question marks around this team, man. I mean, okay, look, they're going to be competitive. I just don't see them finishing over 500, which is what we're asking them to do. And I think the thing you have to remember is when the Warriors were good and they did not have Durant, right? So we have to go back to what, 2017, 2016? It was a lot, 2016 was the last time... They didn't have Kevin Durant. And what made them good? You had the, the two key parts to that team being successful. Uh, outside of Steph was Draymond unlocking that defense and also being a reliable secondary playmaker on offense. And Clay giving them a type of shooting versatility that's rare. Like the fact that not only do you have this elite shooter in Curry, but you have Clay who's always kind of in motion, um, running around screens, and that just created so many spacing problems for the defense. Now, look, Clay's gone, and Draymond is not the same guy. And so two of the fundamental pillars of why that team is so good are gone. And we already saw last year, even with Curry being as good as he is, he can't carry this team to a respectable exactly. record just on his own. So I think it's a lot to ask them to be above 500. Um, 
and the depth is not there either. Uh, Kelly Oubre will be nice and interesting to see, but you know all these guys, none of them are moving the needle. This team is is going to be competitive, but they're not going to make the playoffs. So I'm also under. Yeah, and, and Curry only played four or five games last year, and this is extremely small sample. But to your point, they got eviscerated in all of them, and so that's what makes me worried. And no guy, no guy at his position and size can be a one-man band it's not like a Durant or a LeBron or Kawhi or Giannis where you affect so much of the game defensively and that's the concern to me yep totally agree yeah and you're right it was only five games it felt like more but it was only a small sample size but man they looked so bad that um it's worrisome now Kush Kush says over there's no way this team is below 500 if Curry is healthy all season Draymond is a crazy person and won't allow it. I don't know anything about college basketball, but people seem to like Wiseman, so that too. That's why we pay Kush the big bucks. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why, yeah. Uh, so he's he he's gonna you know go against it's the Curry train, train, right? You have to bet on a superstar, so I get that. All right, and now we may come to the most interesting team that we have. And it's the Houston Rockets, who last year, 50.1 wins uh, with Russell Westbrook and Harden. This year, they're projected for 39.3 over 82. So 11 win drop off. They were the sixth uh, highest rated offensive team last year and 14th in defensive rating. Their lineup, as it looks like now, it's going to be Harden, Wall. They got Christian Wood, uh, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, DeMarcus Cousins, another addition, and Daniel House. So really it's Wall, Cousins, and Wood are the the new additions, and they lost Covington, and they lost uh, Westbrook, obviously. Those are the two big pieces going out. Um, So what are your – so I'll start maybe on Houston. Yeah, this is you. I am going over on Houston. And I really didn't want to go over because I knew you were going to be all over it, and I'd love it if you were wrong. And Let's look, just Harden, both be wrong to get. Let's just both be right together, you know. <laughs> if Harden, the problem is Harden might get traded. This almost made me change my pick once that report came out because Ben Simmons on this team. I don't know if they'll be that good. Right. But let's say it looks like they might end up holding on to him, and that raises this team's floor just so high, right? The Harden is proven to be just a regular season machine, even in the preseason. Like he's been out of shape, but he's still dropping buckets. Um, and we keep thinking this team has been completely blown up, but really the majority of their core is still in place. Yeah. Granted, none of these guys are happy, but you still have Eric Gordon, Daniel House, PJ Tucker, you know, guys who can still shoot. And Christian Wood was a great signing. Um, you know, and he's tonight. Yeah, he was good tonight. And Wall and Cousins, I'm not banking too much on them given their health and given just them as, you know, players. General general people. (laughs) Just general people. But look, there's too much talent on this roster, plus James Harden, to go under 39 wins or be less than 500. So uh, I'm I'm picking the over, and I think they'll finish, you know, in the potentially in the eighth seed or ninth seed. This is something I'm not very proud of admitting, but I'm actually choosing to watch Rockets preseason games over the Wizards, <laughs> um, and the reason is strictly just to watch John Wall and. 
And I was trying to wonder how much I would follow him versus still kind of just maintain my 100% Wizards fandom. And thankfully, he got traded out of conference, so I kind of have two teams now. <laughs> um, and I started following a bunch of Rockets beat writers, too. And what I would ultimately say is, yes, we know this is entirely dependent on Harden being traded, right? So if Harden is there for the full season, this is the lock of the century. This is really empty every single dollar you've ever had to your name and put it on this over, right? Because they will not finish under 500 with all of that talent. Plus, like you said, regular season machine Harden, who no matter what shape he's in, is capable and productive. So then you say, okay, well, what happens if he gets traded? And the reality is, if you think about how much of a hard line the Rockets are, are drawing here, they're not going to do it for anything short of, you know, the Anthony Davis level package, right? Or if it's not quite that, it's something very close. And that includes a young all-star or a young all-star prospect, as well as number of picks and other players. And so to me, even if he's traded, let's say you talk the Ben Simmons package, or even you go to Miami, you say it's the Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn package. I think that's still going to be enough with a potentially healthy and resurgent wall boogie. And, and I think Wood is going to be a great signing with Gordon, that that's going to get them into the playoffs. Now, that may be me totally overvaluing you know, my guys, and therefore that's why I'm thinking this. But I think even including a hardened trade, I just think Houston's going to hold out for so much that the package they re- receive will be good enough this year. And Houston is typically not a team that tanks, right? They've really never tanked, um, if you think about it, back since the, uh, almost really since the Olajuwon draft, right? In 84, that's the last time they were like consistently bad and trying to accumulate a ton of picks. That's really just not their franchise mentality. And I don't see how that's going to change this year. And you say, well, Ben Simmons, he's not a good fit next to Wall. I don't disagree, but I think they're still talented enough to figure something out. And if we're talking about being 500 and at that bottom part of the Eastern, uh, the Western Conference, I think they're going to be in contention. I think what we've seen so far from Wall and Cousins is more encouraging than maybe people had considered when they're coming off the types of injuries they were. Uh, and I think we didn't see Wall with Wood tonight, but I think that's going to open up a lot of shots for him. And, you know, with Harden, this is a comfortable over. Without him, it's a slight over. But I'm, I'm still holding out that they're, they're not going to make the trade tomorrow. Maybe I'm proven wrong. Yeah, and the way I look at it, I mean, not to spoil anything coming out later, but you look at a team like Phoenix was a higher over-under. Like, do I feel comfortable picking Phoenix to finish higher than Houston, especially if, yeah, you're right, Harden might not be there, but there's still a good chance he would be. No, so that to me tells me that this should be an over. Um, So we're on the same page. Now, Kush, once again, is going against the grain here and says under. Or not against the grain, against us, because I think a lot of people like the under. We're against and, the grain. And he, and he says, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he starts off with, ha, ha, ha. I mean, Wall coming back from a two-year injury, Harden trying to get traded, and Boogie on the same team. It would be a dereliction of duty if any of us took the over here. Nice work. Plus, Wall, Harden, Boogie, and Houston strip, strip clubs. This is a COVID lock. See, this is where you got to be up to date on COVID response, uh, you know, Harden's already had it. He's basically immune, right? Walls probably had it, you know, just what didn't come out. I'm sure the way these guys party, there's no chance that they haven't had it yet. So as long as they've <laughs> had it in the last three months, I think we're good. In fact, one of the reasons I was happy, you know, we traded for Westbrook because I knew he had it already and that couldn't be a potential source of absence this season. Um, you know, I know it's, it's <laughs> technically you can get it twice. I'm just saying like, what are the odds here? Um, 
And so I think actually the COVID risk might go out the window just because they've already in, indulged themselves in that risk. Interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, also, I don't know if Boogie is a frequenter of strip clubs. Uh, I was going to say, that was just, he's just, he's just typecasting him. That's not the kind of guy Boogie is. You know what's funny? Boogie was on the Kings for so long. I don't know what he did in his free time. He was not a big partier. He's also not a guy to sit around and play video games. Like I don't know if he's just sitting around brooding all day. I was gonna say I think he's just like in the corner of his house, just kind of just scowling at the wall. Just yeah, that's that's all I can picture him doing. So okay. after you promised everyone that we were gonna differ a lot, we're four for four on being the same. So wait, did, oh no, you're right. Yeah, we're four for four. Okay. All right, All right, so the next one is the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the Clippers, everyone knows how their season ended last last year, um, flaming out, giving up the 3-1 lead. But they were a 55.8 win team last year. This year projected for about 51.8, so four wins less. Second offensive rating team last year, fifth defensive rating, so top five in both offense and defense. They have Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Will, Pat Bev, uh, Zubac, Morris, but they're bringing in Ibaka after losing Harrell. Um, so that's their big offseason addition. Um, and yeah, so what do you have the Clippers? All right, two out of my top, two out of my first five, and here's the second lock. I got a lock on the Clippers over. Um, I'm so upset with the way Paul George is viewed now. Um, and I'm a Paul George defender. I love him. I love that 2010 draft class with George, Wall, and Cousins. And now we do this thing where we're like, you'd rather have Paul George than Duncan Robinson? Couldn't be me, fucking moron. And it's like, all right, look, he played poorly. He's not been had the like the finest track record. But let's like cool it on like just calling him a guy that should be on a vet men deal. Like when he signed a max contract, anybody who was su- surprised by that doesn't know basketball. Of course, Paul George is going to sign a max contract. That's the kind of player he is. He's going to play at a top 15 level this year. He's going to make the all-star team, assuming health. And the number one thing I took away from even these three preseason games is Ty Lu is going to have these guys way more accountable than Doc Rivers did. I think they're really getting away from this, you know, I'm the diva and I'm going to run everything about this organization. And Ty Lue has a championship in 2016 playing and coaching LeBron James and therefore has a little bit more credibility than Doc pointing to his 08 Ubuntu Celtics, right? (laughs) And you got to think about like the reason why the preseason was interesting to me is that Kawhi and Paul George have now played in every game that they've had in the preseason, including both games against the Lakers. I think LeBron and AD played in neither of those games. And I thought that was a testament and sort of like indicative of the fact that this is going to become a no-nonsense season for the Clippers who, you know, yes, they have Paul George under contract, but Kawhi is going to be a free agent next summer. And if they don't get it together, he could walk. And I think he knows that as well. I don't think he wants to leave. The whole point of him orchestrating all this bullshit with San Antonio was to one day end up in L.A. Now that he's here, where's he going to go? He's not signing with the Knicks next summer. Like he's not signing with, you know, the Dallas Mavericks to be second fiddle to Luka. So this is his team. I expect him to stay. And a part of that starts with with leading the charge this year. And, you know, yes, they flamed out. Yes, it was embarrassing. 3-1. We all know the stats from George and Kawhi, especially in the fourth quarter of that game seven. But 
you play that series 50 times over, they're winning 49 times. Like it was a fluke. It was an aberration. Call it bubble basketball. Call it whatever you want. Doesn't diminish what Denver did. I'm just saying it's not likely to repeat itself this year. This team is going to at least the Western Conference Finals, if not to win it all. And they're my second lock over. Man, I I also have them as my over. And this is my first lock. I can't believe how disrespectful this line is to the Clippers. Like, people really soured on them. Look, I get it. Epic collapse. Paul George, the jokes, the memes, everything, fine. But for this team last year to finish 56 win pace, given all the chemistry issues we heard about, given the load management that was happening, given the injuries and a lot of their core players missed time. And now you're telling me they're going to win four fewer games in a season, like you said, where there's immense pressure on them to win. Kawhi, who was a darling last season, now all of a sudden has this negative perception around him. He's going to kind of be pressured into playing more games and load managing less. Uh, And this team has to win this year. Like there's that real pressure. And um, they're bringing back pretty much the same squad. And, and Ibaka, I think, at least, look, one of the things was they didn't have that veteran presence in the locker room. They didn't have a voice that they could all kind of look to. Guess what Ibaka is? He's a champion. He's more vocal than Kawhi. He's a guy who is a good lock teammate. Teammates love him. Um, like those He's are Kawhi's things. boy. Huh? He's Kawhi's boy, too. Like. Those are small things that don't seem like they matter, but we've seen time and time again with championship teams, like just like the Cavs in 2016, that one vet that comes in and helps kind of just bring up the the mood of the locker room, that matters. And so I think it's a lock because there's no way, world in which this team is not going to be at least 53, 54 wins. Um, and I think they're going to finish over the Lakers this year as well. And I actually think that they're going to win the title this year. If I had to pick a team, I'm going yeah. with the Clippers to win it. The worry that I have with the Clippers, if I had to point to one, and maybe this is more of a playoffs issue, so sort of irrelevant for over-unders, but they still didn't get that primary facilitator who can get Kawhi the ball in his spots rather than trying to turn him into some type of Scottie Pippen point forward, which is really not his game. Um, I still think Lou Williams can't be played in the playoffs, right? Montrezl Harrell couldn't be either, and they made a very, very smart move you know, you get the, you see the flashy numbers, you see the sixth man of the year award, and you're like, we have to bring him back to a big number. And they specifically said, no, he's not going to, he's not a dynamic enough player to go give a contract that he was expecting, right? And of course, he's, you saw what he ended up getting the mid level with the Lakers. The Marcus Morris contract was bizarre and a huge overpay, but he's a good player. Like, that's fine. I, I just worry that their guard play is still not sufficient. I thought they were going to make a move. Um, and maybe they still will, right? Maybe that's a Kyle Lowry destination. You got Kawhi there. You got Ibaka there. He's on a $33 million expiring. You package Beverly and somebody, maybe that gets you up to, to what you need to go get Kyle Lowry for the stretch run. That would be interesting. Damn, Kyle I just Lowry, I got hyped just saying it to myself. That that would be, oh man, seeing Kyle Lowry on the Clippers would be perfect. Um, Credit thick and thin when that happens. If, if it happens, man, yeah, you're bringing back the whole Toronto crew at that point, the 2019 right title team exactly um okay so we're both on the over we're both on the lock kush is also on the over he says are they really going to be four games worse than last season i don't see it i'm going to hope they're all embarrassed from last year and show up hungry this season and maybe Kawhi will rest less this is 
This is the echo chamber. We're all saying the same things. Yeah. Um, But I'm feeling good about this one. Now, let's go to the Lakers, uh, the next team on the list. Now, the Lakers finished 60-win pace last year, number one seed in the West. 53 this year, so seven-win drop-off. Obviously, they won the title, 11th in offense, third in defense. And this team made a lot of positive changes in the offseason. They still got LeBron, AD, but they added Schroeder. They added Gasol. uh, They added Harrell. And then they still have Kuzma, KCP, Morris as their core rotation. Uh, And THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, a lot of buzz around him given how he's played in the preseason. So A lot of buzz from Lakers fans who consume – all yeah. of our attention span and, and just energy. Uh, I got an under on the Lakers. Um, no disrespect. I think they're going to be right there. And if you, I think if you look at the betting favorites, they are number one to win the title. I'm curious about what load management type program LeBron and AD are going to be on having only played uh, 72 days ago from between their last game of the final season against the Heat, game six versus opening night. Um, I think they play the Warriors, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I might be, honestly, um, next Tuesday. So, you know, I think they'll play for the national TV games, you know, all those types of things. I think they're not going to just like miss a month or anything like that. But, you know, as much as was made about, hey, this is LeBron finally doing it in the West, like that's all the haters get can, you know, can like, you know, kiss kiss his ass and like. I think as much as that was part of the narrative, I actually think to him there was a level of like, it's harder in the West, and therefore we need the one seed in the way in a way we didn't always need it in the East, you know. And they made it a point from day one to go get that one seed, and it's not something that LeBron has really strived for later in his career. He's made the finals from all sorts of positions in the East, and I kind of think that now that he's seen what it was, he's okay with going in as the two or the three or whatever. He doesn't have any issue playing a game five in Denver or playing a game seven in Portland or whatever, you know, if those teams made it up. So I, I kind of think that last year was like, let's see if all the hype is real. Turns out he was still fine. And this year is about, let me get my body right. Year 18 and coming off a very, very short lay, uh, layover, I just think they're going to rest and take it easy. And I think they're going to cruise in at 51 or 52 wins prorated and, you know, still do their thing in the playoffs. So I'm going under. I am also going under. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the dumbest podcast we've ever done. A lot of the same reasons now. And look, what I was always shaky about this one because um, that's a seven win drop off and the depth on this team actually got better. And the pieces on this team are a better fit than they were last year. Like you're you're getting rid of McGee, Rondo, um, Howard, who all were kind of kind of they played an important role, but they're all kind of misfits. And you're bringing in smarter, more talented guys in this season, and yet you're asking for a seven-win drop-off. And so I was shaky on it until I saw LeBron in that preseason game icing up. I don't know if you saw, like, his knees wrapped up, his legs in, like, these ice buckets in his first preseason game, which told me everything. It's like, look, this guy's going to be load managing all season. He's he's still going to play. He's still going to be LeBron. But that pressure to to play that, you know, 82 games is not there. Yeah, He knows MVP is probably a reach at this point in his career. So he's not gunning for that. There's no motivation there. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think he's going to go as hard, and this team is going to be slightly worse. All right. And Kush, 
What do you know? Also says under these guys can enter the playoffs as an eight seed and still win the whole thing. LeBron and AD won't play more than 60% of the games and nor should they. I think LeBron may be the first ever to win a title as an eight seed just for kicks. Won't make him better than MJ though. Well, he had facts, me until facts, that facts. last statement, but um, it's big facts. Okay. I think as, as the kids say. All right. So now we'll go to the Memphis Grizzlies. So now we're, what is this, the seventh team? Okay. Memphis, surprise, uh, one of the surprises of last year, finished 38.2, kind of a prorated wins. This year, expected to drop down to 34.7, which is a four-win drop-off. And they were 20th in offense last year, 15th in defense, so kind of middling. Uh, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Brandon Clark was pretty good for them last year. Um, Dylan Brooks, Valen Chunis, uh, Allen, which Allen is this? Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen. <laughs> um, so they didn't make Josh that Allen big. from the Bills. They didn't make many big offseason kind of moves this uh, this time. But uh, what do you have? Or actually, no, this one's me, right? I think if it's seven, I'm up. So okay. I, yeah, they're bringing back literally the same exact nucleus from last season. Um I'm still going with the over, and it's all driven by internal improvement. You think Jaron Jackson's in year three, um, Morant and and uh, Brandon Clark are in year two, Grayson Allen's year three or four. And so it's just a lot of youth that is going to get better. It's like blue chip youth that played really well early. It's not like we're expecting them to turn into totally different players like the Knicks youth, for example. Um, I think these guys went right down to the wire. Um, if you remember, even though they fell to nine, they gave Portland a hell of a fight in that play-in game in the bubble. And I think John Moran is really about to ascend to, to superstardom, right? Like his game already creates that sort of vibe around him. He gives you that young Derrick Rose, young Russell Westbrook type vibe. Um, health is a concern, right? Jaron Jackson has not proven that he can stay healthy for an 82 game season. And he, even in the bubble, he got hurt. I'm not sure if he's even ready to go uh, for next week. He had uh, knee surgery um, following an injury there. And, and justice Winslow is the same way. He's been in and out of lineups, both in Miami as well as in, um, in Memphis. But, you know, I think they can get enough offense from Morant Brooks and Allen and, and Brandon Clark is kind of that perfect role man to play with Morant in the pick and roll. Uh, Valanchunas gives them that veteran presence and it's still a very, very young team, but I also don't think that they're asking them to do that much at that 34.7 pro rated number. So I'm going over. <laughs> I also went over, uh, this, I mean, I think people also forget this team played really badly in the bubble and the bubble's a little weird, right? So if you take out the bubble, they were 500 team right before the bubble. Uh, so they were good, right? And, and even if you think they overachieved, you're banking on this, uh, the youth only getting better. Jaron Jackson, uh, he hopefully he can stay healthy, but he's really the kind of two-way player that you can really build around, including John Morant. And this is just a team that's going to keep chugging along. They're going to make modest improvements you know, this season. I don't think they're going to take a big step back like this over-under is asking them. So uh, that's all I got to say. I, I like the over. I'm confident in the over on this one. Now, Kush... Also says over something, 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 John Morant, second season, etc. That's his uh, insightful commentary on that one. 
the second season leap where six months from now we debate whether that qualifies for most improved or it should be expected and we'll go yeah. through that whole charade again. That's true. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. So the Timberwolves, they are, you know, they were 24.4 win team last year. They're expected or their win total this year is 32.5 prorated, eight win improvement. They finished 24th in offense, 21st in defense. Uh, wait, Marine, yes, and that they have Cat. They got D'Angelo Russell last year from the Warriors. Uh, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, the draft pick at number one. They're bringing back Rubio. Uh, they got Hernan Gomez and then Culver, their draft pick from last season, Jared Culver. Um, that rounds out their rotation. So, I think you're up. I am actually going with the over. Now, uh, you're asking eight win improvement for this Timberwolves team that doesn't look that much better. Well, look, here's what I have to say. Malik Beasley looked really great with them in 14 games. He was averaging like 20 and five. Um, And Rubio is a huge addition. I think Rubio was really good in Phoenix last year. The record didn't necessarily reflect it, but he's going to allow D'Angelo to play a little bit more off ball. Um, because we know Russell at the pure point guard position, people are skeptical if that's really the right spot for him. But I think playing that off-ball two guard, having some of the ball handling duties, that's the right role for him. And Rubio's also going to help unlock Cat um, and get him into high-efficiency situations. He helped Aiden a lot with this last year. Cat's uh, already an, a tremendous offensive player, but Rubio's only going to help him further unlock some of you know his capabilities. And look, Phoenix last year was in a very similar position. Um, they had a young guard, a young center, an offense that's very, you know, very, their team was offensive oriented, but they were very inefficient. And when Rubio came in, he helped them really click. And I think the same thing's going to happen in Minnesota. And I also see this Minnesota team as they remind me of the Sacramento Kings teams uh, with DeMarcus Cousins, where they'd have DeMarcus Cousins, they've had Rudy Gay, they'd have a good amount of talent. And it was always good enough to get to that 34-win, 35-win range, right? But they top off there. That's exactly where I see this Timberwolves team. They're going to be in that 34, 35 wins, and that's good enough for the over, but they're still not going to be a playoff team, still far from it. So I like the over. I also went over. Um, oh and I, and I, I do love the cat to DeMarcus Cousins comp. I hadn't thought of that because they're such different personalities, but – it's kind of two of the guys where you look at the box score, you look at the basketball reference page, and you're like, is this guy like a top three player in the NBA? Like, what's going on? And, you know, there's more that meets the eye. But, you know, like you said, it doesn't mean that they're going to be worse in the league. It means that they're just not a playoff team. And, and that's kind of where I'm at with them. I think they're probably over uh, um, over-rotated on too many guards uh, with, with all these guys that need to play and expect minutes. At the same time, you could slide Beasley up to the three. You could slide Anthony Edwards up to the three and play a little bit smaller of a lineup. And look, this team's not playing defense against anybody. They're going to give up 115, 120 every night. So their best bet is how many, you know, how can we get the five guys on the floor that can score the most? So maybe they even go with crazy lineups like with Edwards, Beasley, Russell, and Rubio with Cat, right? So who knows what they're going to do. Um, outside of Cat and, and Juan Herna and Gomez, they really don't have – many trustable big men, but at the same time, I think they're going to play fast. I, you know, I think they're going to score a lot of points, give up a lot of points. And 
you know, this is a big, big year for Cat. At some point, you turn from that young prospect who still has moved to go to this is the guy that's not living up to his potential, and suddenly the like the you know we're going to have to call off the dogs on him, that type of thing. And I think you you almost got there with Devin Booker. He bought himself a little bit of time with that little eight and zero stretch, and now they acquired Chris Paul. So in theory, he's going to look better. You're starting to get there with different guys at different stages of their careers, and the next up on the chopping block is Cat, and like. Cat is now, I think, year two into that max deal. So this isn't like a young guy in his rookie contract still, still trying to figure his way out. He's already put together historical offensive seasons. And as a big man, if you only play one way, you can't really be um, the type of dominant force that your game might indicate. You know, Jokic is a good example of, hey, he's not phenomenal on defense, but he at least tries. He's in the right spot. He does enough such that it's passable and his amazing offensive talent comes through. Cat's got to figure out how to thread the needle on, on what to do defensively. And I think, I think Rubio is going to help a lot, but um, at the same time, we're not asking Minnesota to go 500. Uh, we're asking them to take a jump from last year, but they also didn't have a full season of Russell. In fact, they only had like a month of Russell. So that's a totally different situation. They didn't have Anthony Edwards. They didn't have Rubio. Like the, like you said, Malik Beasley. The team is is totally different. So I almost throw last season out the window, though in our heads it seems the same because Cat's still the focal point. And, yep. and I like Ryan Saunders, frankly, as a coach. I think he gets to, through to the young guys. And, you know, this isn't the right nucleus to, to play championship caliber basketball. But based on this over-under, I don't think they're being asked to either. So I'm going over. All right. Well, at least we have Kush. Um, who's going under and going under lock. Wow. Um, he says, why would this team be nine games better than last season? This team sucks. They only had Russell for a month. You did not just hear me. <laughs> so he's, he's going under, we're both going over, but uh, I feel pretty good about that one. All right. New Orleans Pelicans, this team uh, the team that the NBA kind of created these very specific bubble requirements just to get into the playoffs ended up finishing last year on a 34 win pace expected to now be 41.6. Uh, that's their over under for this year over 82. There were 17 offense, 19th in defense, literally the definition of a middling team. Uh, of course, Zion is the headliner here. Lonzo Ingram, who took a big step forward last season, JJ Redick, uh, Josh Hart, and Steven Adams is the big addition. Uh, and also Eric Bledsoe, who they got from Milwaukee. So uh, Adams and Bledsoe kind of coming in. They did lose some some key rotational guys, including Drew Holiday. Uh, so what do you expect of the Pelicans this season? So I'm going to go and, they, you know, new, new coach Stan Van Gundy, who's going to inst- install a new defensive system. I think it's a m- much improved scheme from what Alvin Gentry Gentry trotted out there. And for that reason, I'm going to go over. Um, I think the Pelicans, uh, especially when they had Zion on the floor last year, were very good. Uh, Bubble aside, in the bubble, it was like setting basketball back 50 years. That's how bad they were. But before the bubble, before all the craziness, you know, Zion had a very, very weird rookie year coming off the meniscus injury, plays for a couple months, looks amazing. Then it's another five month hiatus. Same with the other young guys who are trying to get acclimated. So now that there's actually a little bit more continuity, like you think about last year's team, Redick, Hart, Lonzo, Zion, Ingram, were all brand new. 
and that's five of your top nine guys, right? This year, you're integ- – and sorry, Jackson Hayes as well, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, your two rookies. This year, you're integrating a little bit less. Yes, you have two potential starters, depending on what they do with Bledsoe, uh, him and Adams, that are in the lineup. But those are low-usage guys, right? Like, I think Adams is – although the shooting fit doesn't really make sense next to Zion, I think he's going to make his life really easy on the glass. Um, he's like one of the best box out players in the league. He can take over a lot of the tougher matchups, the Jokic's, the Embiid's, the cats of the world, um, and allow Zion to dominate as small ball center against certain lineups. So the team seems like it fits a little bit more cohesively. And as I mentioned last week, I think Drew Holiday got to a point where he was a little overrated just because he was such a nice person. It, it was like the Mike Conley syndrome of like, if you were so good, why isn't the team better? Um, and so I think losing him and swapping him out for Bledsoe, while maybe in the playoff game or something, could be a bigger deal. I don't actually think it's a huge drop off in the regular season. We've seen Bledsoe man the ship for 60 win Bucks teams um, now for a couple of years, and ultimately I think there's a he has a lot to prove, right? He's been started throwing around the league a little, and I think you know, year two with Lonzo, year two with Ingram, now off a fresh max contract, he does he gets that off the you know he gets that weight off his shoulders. Um, to me, this is a this is an over and one that if I can guarantee seventy five percent availability from Zion, I'd feel pretty comfortable almost making a lock. Finally, we have a disagreement because I'm going go. under and I'm going lock, lock wow. on the under. I don't I don't buy into this Pelicans team at all. I went under last season, uh, and I was right. I'm going under again. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be above five hundred, which is what. This total is saying there will be. Uh, they lost a big chunk of the rotation last year. I think you're not giving Holiday enough credit. He wasn't amazing last year. Fine. But Bledsoe is a total shell of himself. It's a huge downgrade of the backcourt. And he also presents his own spacing issues with, with um, you know, Zion in the paint. And now you add Steven Adams, who I get your point. Look, Steven Adams is a grown man, can rebound, take some of those responsibilities off Zion. But look, on paper, it's a bad fit, and you don't need to. We don't need to read into it too much. It it's because it is a bad fit. Like Zion's game is all around the rim. Stephen Adams, his game is really restricted to around the rim. How many teams are playing with both their four and five right around the rim? Like no team in the NBA is doing that today, and there's a reason. So yes, while they can stagger lineups a little bit better, ease the burden on Zion. Like if Stephen Adams is a core part of your rotation, I don't think. This team's getting much better. And Stan Van Gundy, look, I, I do think Stan Van Gundy's going to come in and you know, Alvin Gentry is kind of letting these guys run wild. Stan Van Gundy will bring some discipline, bring some defense. But guess what? Stan Van Gundy did that with the Pistons last couple of years. And where have the Pistons been? They've been trash, haven't even been able to crack the playoffs last couple of seasons in an Eastern Conference that's been super weak. And with a Pistons team that hasn't been tanking, that's been trying to assemble rosters to compete. Let me make one point there. He was kind of to blame for some of the roster construction because he had the player, to, he had the, like, he was president of basketball operations and he was making some kind of moron moves. In this situation, David Griffin has created a much better roster than I think what Stan Van put together in Detroit. That's the only thing I'd say there, but continue. Yeah, sure. And, but Stan Van still, you know, and I think he may have had that one eight seed appearance um, when Stanley That's Johnson was starting. For here. Uh, yeah. But but um, look, the West, these are the big boys. I don't think the Pelicans are going to – look, if you think the Pelicans – I need to look at your your total list because you think the Rockets are going to make the playoffs. Um, 
You also think the Pelicans. Like these are all teams contending for that seven eight spot, right? So how many playoff teams are there? For no, I'm just kidding. Look, I don't know. I did this gut instinct. I was emotional with the Rockets. I didn't really look at anything else. I think I think Golden State might not make it. Okay. And I think But who do the Pelicans replace? They might replace Memphis. Portland. Portland. Okay, Portland. we'll, we'll no. get there. I mean, we still got teams to go, but I'm just like I'm interested to see. I think I have think. 12 playoff teams. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, gonna be- also, it's possible that 42 wins or whatever, the pro-rated 37 wins, doesn't get you into the playoffs in the West. Why are we assuming that just because I took the over on, the, you know, let's say New Orleans goes the equivalent of 42 and 40. That doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs in the West. It's not. But the last couple of years, that's, it's kind of been right around there. But I so think we're you're deeper right. now. We're deeper Okay, we'll see. We're not see. as top-heavy, but I think we're deeper. We'll see. Well, the good thing is Kush agrees with me because he says under 42 wins seems like a lot for these guys. They're going to be scrappy, but not sure they can go get to 42 in a tough West. Also, Steven Adams in the city of New Orleans could be a dangerous combination. What? I feel like he gets after it and was a caged bird in Oklahoma City. We ha- we haven't seen him play anywhere else, but I think this guy's a, he just chills. He's like a kiwi man. He's from New Zealand. He's just chilling on some farms. Like he's hanging out. Yeah. So okay. Well, we both agree on that one. And the next team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So the Thunder, obviously, boatload of picks. Uh, were really competitive last year with Chris Paul. No more Chris Paul. They are now – so they're a 50-win team last year, but now projected for 25.6. Um, throw the, the metrics out from last season because they're not going to look any anything at all like they did last year. Gilgis Alexander, they got Dort, who made a name for himself. Hill, they added Trevor Ariza. Uh, is this Josh Jackson? Which Jackson is this? Yeah, uh, yeah, Josh Jackson, like the former Suns. Yeah, pick. Al Horford, who's just, you know – Sam Presti was like, yeah, give me a pick. We'll keep Horford. TJ Leaf, um, Miller. I don't know who these guys are. I mean, like, they're going to, they got Poku. So, anyways, 25.6 is really low. This is supposedly the worst team in the West. So, where are you going with the Thunder? I am going under. Um, I think with good organizations, we have a tendency to be very fearful of counting them out. And OKC is a good organization. Um, and after what happened last year when they were supposed to tank, there's even more trepidation and they still have SGA. But if you look at SGA, when Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder were off the floor, he was productive, but not very efficient. And that was not a winning combination in terms of his on off. Horford could have a resurgent year. Maybe you get something pretty solid out of Josh Jackson and Lou Dort, who was the darling of the bubble. Maybe he takes another step forward. There's just not enough talent on this team. I think the second Horford looks like he's playing well, he's immediately going to then be in trade talks. Chris Paul would have been too last year if the if the Thunder weren't in playoff contention. You know, he had a second team All NBA season, but the fact that they kept him was more to do with that they were winning 50 games and less about him playing well. Right. So if they can get assets for for Horford just six months or three months after they took on assets to take him, I think they're going to be willing to do that. And this team is just devoid of talent in a West that, like I said, 
is reared up and ready to win across the board. I think this is an under, and I think it's going to get ugly in Oklahoma City with a lot of light at the end of a very short tunnel. Um, You talk about a loaded 2021 draft, and you talk about all of those future picks that are coming to them over the next five, six years. So I'm an under here. Yep, this team is bad. It's going to be the worst team in the West. Like, There's no reason they would not be the worst, um, unless some other team has some catastrophic injuries. So no need to overthink it. They got guys like George Hill, Trevor Riza. These are classic, you know, just there to get a paycheck. They might be buyouts. They might potentially get moved to a contender. I don't know, but they're not guys who are going to be contributing to winning basketball. No. They got a lot, a lot of young guys they want to trot out, like Poku. Uh, so yeah, Have you seen be that bad. guy? He yeah. is. <laughs> He's a roller coaster. He's a roller. Co- he's seven foot one, two hundred pounds, and he did, looks like he's never played basketball. He, looks, he's, he is. He he made a couple of good plays, but his bad plays are just <laughs> hilarious. They're just this one like sweeping hook shot air ball thing <laughs> that I was just like, oh my god. He's, he's not on? lacking in confidence. I, I will say that. I think All they're right. going to get him a lot of burn this year. That's the whole point, right? Exactly. So they're going to suck. Let's not spend too much time with them. Phoenix right. Suns. Now, what, did Phoenix. Kush say? what did Kush say about them? Oh, yes, Kush. Kush said over. Oh, wow. He said, now this is going to be a super scrappy team. The roster isn't great, but yeah. I think they'll Bring be a few teams they, they shouldn't try. just by working hard. Also, Dort is a funny name, so give me the over. On the basis of Lou Dort, I can give him that. But what was he saying? Which roster did he say sucked, and then this one was just not that great? <laughs> He said Dallas. <laughs> Dallas, yeah, outside of Luca, this is really bad. All right, fair enough. All right, um, the Phoenix Suns. Now, this is one of the most interesting teams this year because they finished thirty-eight win pace last year with that eight and zero run in the bubble uh, on pace, or they're projected for forty-three point eight, so just a five-win improvement. Twelfth in offensive rating, seventeenth in defensive rating. And the big headliner is they're bringing in Chris Paul. So they lost Rubio, but brought in Chris Paul. They got Devin Booker, Aiden, Miles Bridges, Dario Saric, added Jay Crowder. Um, Cam Johnson's, uh, you know, one year older. And which Carter is this? Vince. No, Vince. Javon, Javon Carter. I was going to say it's Vince. Yeah, it's Javon Carter. So I'll start with this one. I've been hard on the Suns in the offseason pods. So I have to be consistent here, and I'm going with the under. Now, uh, 44 wins is a lot to ask of a team that could barely sniff 30 with this core rotation, uh, especially when you don't consider the the bubble performance, which, look, it was great, but the bubble it ha- does have its kind of little fluky nature to it, at least for those eight playing or those eight games. And I buy that Paul will unlock a lot with his offense. Look, I I think Chris Paul is exactly what this team needs. But this team is also pretty efficient with Rubio leading them. It's not like um, he's taking them from a really poor point guard or just lacking any kind of offensive direction to now all of a sudden you have you know a Hall of Fame point guard in your rotation. They were they were good offensively. Booker, Aiden, they all had good seasons. So Paul is, is a stabilizing force. He can actually contribute on offense as well. But you're asking them to improve by leaps and bounds. And their big rotation, this is what I'm big, uh, most worried about. They lost Baines last year. Baines was a big part of that team. They don't really have a solid big man behind Aiden. Um, 
And so I think they're going to be better, but I think this team finishes around 500. I I just don't see them being a 44-win team in the West, which would put them in that seventh seed. Um, Granted, I know next year can shake out differently, but assuming that would be a roughly seventh or eighth seed. So I'm going with under, but what do you say? You're going to kill me for this, but I went over for yet another playoff team in the West. <laughs> um, my whole thought was I was ready to go under because the Phoenix hype train just need to slow down a bit. But I expected the win total to be a little higher than it was. I expected it to be in that 45, 46 prorated range, in, in which case I'd be comfortable taking it the over. Taking the under, excuse me. And I think they're going to win somewhere in that 42, 43, 44 range. So at this point, if you think about it, they're 43.8. So I should go under. But I think more than Devin Booker, Chris Paul is going to unlock DeAndre Ayton. He's always been able to get the best out of the big men he plays with, whether that's DeAndre Jordan, David West, Tyson Chandler, um, you know, even Clint Capella when they played together in Houston. I think Ayton is probably the most talented big he's maybe ever played with frankly, if you think if you go down the list. And I think Aiton was poised for that breakout, and this is now going to be year three from him. He's seen guys like Trey Young and Luca from his class get to that superstar level play, and I think he's ready to go do the same. Booker's a stud, and he's going to continue being a stud. I think your point about the fact that they played well with Rubio is, is well-founded, right? Because the real issue came when those guys sat. Um, and what are they going to do there? Because Chris Paul's not going to log 35 minutes a game at his age. Yep. Um Hopefully, Javon Carter is able to step up. I mean, he's one of the best defensive point guards in the league already. And you try to stagger, right? You know Booker can lead the offense, so maybe you stagger between him and Paul, almost the way they, the Rockets did with Harden and Paul, where nobody was, uh, you know, they were on the floor all 48 minutes. Now, the big man rotation is, an, is, a, good, is a good point. They drafted Jalen Smith, um, 11th overall. A lot of people thought they should take Tyrese Halliburton there. And... Part of that was because they knew they were going to lose Baines, and they did to Toronto. And, you know, is Jalen Smith really, do you want to count on a rookie to be like your primary backup big? It's it's not a great situation. But at the same time, he's hopefully not going to be asked to do a whole lot. And you can play some smaller lineups, whether that's, you know, I don't think they're going to play like Cam Johnson at center, but, um, you know, maybe they figure out a way to get around that. And I love their wings, right? From Crowder was a great signing just to bring some more veteran leadership. Mikel Bridges is the perfect 3 and D player. Um, low usage, high, uh, high efficiency. I think he's a perfect guy to play next to their three sort of primary scorers. I think Phoenix is going to be good. I think, yes, am I sort of under the spell of what Paul did in Oklahoma City last year? Yes, but I don't think that that was necessarily... Um, fluky for as long as it went on, right? They were the best team, one of the best teams in the league after New Year's. It wasn't just bubble basketball. It wasn't just like for small stretches. They played well start to finish. I think he's going to bring something similar to Phoenix. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, this was a tough one for me. So I think I was actually, like you, surprised it wasn't, the over-under wasn't higher. Uh, But I still think that their finish under, Kush does say over. He agrees with you. He says, Chris Paul in the regular season is a beast. And with Booker and Aiden, that's going to be an awesome combination. I don't see the, or I don't think the 8 and 0 in the bubble is a fluke. And this team is going to be really good. So you guys are both on the over there. I'm on the under. So now <laughs> another potential playoff team. We'll see how many playoff teams you have. Um, the Portland Trailblazers. Now they're interesting because the Blazers, you know, we've 
seen this rodeo so many times. Last season, actually somewhat of a disappointing season. They finished with 38.8 wins. Um, obviously, Rabbit they were an eight seed. Injury. Huh? Ravaged by injury. Uh, lost the Lakers in the first round. This year, projected for 47.3. Um, they were a great offensive team last year, third, and then 28th in defense. Dame, McCollum, Nurkic, same cast of characters, uh, Zach Collins. But they added Covington. Um, Gary Trent Jr. was a kind of breakout player for them last year. He's back. And Derek Jones Jr. is another big addition that they had. So, um, And Carmelo. Can't forget Carmelo's back with this team as well. So what do you have for Portland? I went under on Portland. I think that we fantasize about Dame winning a title and being an MVP and he's just everybody's favorite son. It now feels like because he's stuck around Portland. He's the true guy. He's the leader. You know, what you see is what you get, blah, blah, blah. Can we stop and talk about the fact that this team, which was one of the worst defensive teams in the league last year. Yes, they got better from a roster standpoint, adding Covington and Derek Jones at the wing, but do you think there's a reason Covington as good as everyone wants him to be and as friendly as the contract as he has that this is now his fourth team in five seasons. <laughs> like, is that related maybe to anything? Derek Jones Jr., who they got for the full mid-level, couldn't crack the rotation down the stretch for Miami in the playoffs. Despite the fact that they were down on depth, they were still going with several wings ahead of him, including Solomon Hill was playing at <laughs> Derek Jones. So, Forgive me if I don't think these guys are the antidote to all of Portland's problems. Um, they still have a de- defensively, um, you know, subpar backcourt. I think Nurkic is going to have a really good season. Look, Dame is a superstar. There's no denying that. But at the same time, I think a lot is being asked out of a team that's not actually built to go be one of the big boys, but they're being graded out as one of the big boys, and therefore I'm going under. I am going over. Oh, you and we're, we're flipping positions here because last season or in the off season or sorry, post season, you were high on Portland and I called them cute. I trashed them saying, what have they ever done? Why are you giving them credit? Well, you know what? Portland every year has been pretty good. And you forget two years ago, they finished pretty like, in the regular season. We're not talking about the postseason. the regular season. They pretty, they almost finished, I think second or third. Like if you look at their record, they were very close. That was the year that, I think two through seven were all kind of bunched together. Mm-hmm. They were almost a, like a top three seed. Now, look, I think that same team can come back again when they're healthy. And I like their offseason. Now, look, the idea of Covington is always better than the actual player that Covington is. Um, but I think what they've done is they've created more lineup flexibility. One of their biggest challenges last year was play from the wing. Uh, they've added Covington. They've added Derek Jones. Um Harry Giles is a big, yes, but he's uh, and he's not great defensively, but I think he provides some more lineups that they can run as well. And another key thing people don't realize is Portland is actually switching up their defensive scheme this season. So Terry Stotts has traditionally been a guy who focused on rim protection, and they've given up a lot of threes, and that landed them at 28th in defensive rating last year. This season, they're having an emphasis on actually defending the perimeter. I think we're going to see an uptick in their defense. What a pull. Um, Huh? What a pull from you. Yeah, yeah. And and they're more athletic and mobile at the wings. So they're going to be just more equipped to kind of play that, um, to contest those threes and play better on the perimeter. So 
I think this team is going to be in better than 47 wins. It's asking for a lot, but look, we know this team can win in the regular season when they're healthy. It's, it's the questions in the postseason, which I still don't think they're going to do anything, but um, they're primed to be good this season. And I think Dame is, is going to be in the MVP conversation for, uh, for a good chunk of the season. So that defensive scheme thing rivals the Chris Finch point you did last week. Yeah. Hey, look, I, I do my homework. I made a few calls with some of these teams. You know, I'm getting the intel. I just scrolled through the latest box scores of preseason games and called it in. <laughs> um, okay, now let's see. Kush, Kush says that Portland, he projects an under. He says at this point, aren't they bored of running out the same guys every year, winning 40 to 45 games, and then losing in the first or second round of the playoffs? This feels like the end of this group, and 47 wins seems out of reach. I do love the city of Portland, though. Nice place. Kush is a big Portland guy. He said the food's out there and the entertainment, so to speak, is, is also... Do you know, I think Portland has the most strip clubs per capita or per person. I only know that because I think you've told me that a few times before. That's a, <laughs> that's a West Coast fact. That's a West Coast. <laughs> we in the East Coast don't acknowledge that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll leave that as that. <laughs> Moving forward into the Sacramento Kings. Harden to the Blazers? No, Harden's not going to the Blazers. What are they well, going to do? Based on what you just said, I think. Oh, the strip club. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't think those are going to live up to what he's typically used to. Uh, the strip clubs in Portland are probably not the same as, you know, um, probably what he gets in Houston. But Sacramento Kings. Now, this is my team. My pride and joy, the Sacramento Kings. They were a 35-win team last year, fell short of expectations. And this year, uh, project for 31 wins. They're 18th in offensive rating, 20th in defensive rating. Bringing back Fox Heel. They lost Bogdanovich. Bagley is coming back healthy. Rashawn Holmes. They added Tyrese Halliburton in the draft, which was a steal. Harrison Barnes, Corey Joseph, and Nemanja Bialica. That's their core rotation. Um where do you have the Kings? So I was trying to get around on the over on the Kings, but the more I looked at them, the more I was convinced that this is a tank season. And so I'm going under. And you're going to hate to hear this, but I'm starting to get to the point on Fox that I was just telling you could happen for Cat this season, where I'm starting to not see as much improvement as I want to. Um, I'm seeing him being very good at the things he was always very good at and him struggling with some of the things, including half court offense shooting that he kind of struggled with coming in as a rookie without Bogdanovich. Um, you know, that's one more guy who can't really create their own shot healed as a likely trade candidate, right? Like based on what we talked about last week, it's a clear slate, um, for Monty McNair, he can kind of go do as and what he pleases to, to build this team for the future. He doesn't have to, you know, try to do something that's not there. Uh, the, the only reason this would be over is if Bagley can stay healthy and turn out the type of 2010 season that I think he's capable of. Um, if you could just string together 50, 60 games this year, I think that's the only chance that they can go over. Otherwise, I see this team 13, 14, 15 in the West. I am also going under. And the sad thing is, I think this team could accidentally hit the over 
And when I say the reason I say accidentally is because they should be trying to tank, and I think they will be trying to tank. There's enough talent on this roster, enough vets uh, with Barnes, Joseph, Bayalitsa, like healed. These guys can easily win above 31 games with these players. Now, the, the key, though, like you said, is that a lot of them are kind of up for sale. Like Buddy Heald is, there's been a lot made this offseason. He's not really happy. The Kings are going to play him a lot this season, showcase him, and try to get a great offer. And even guys like Harrison Barnes, who uh, I know have said as many times, his contract's declining, so it's not as bad as it, it once looked. Um, you know, a team could use a wing like Barnes as a fourth fourth score, decent defense, can shoot the three ball. Kojo, like these are guys who can also be trade candidates. And no one on this team is um, untouchable except for Fox, Bagley, and Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. So because of the the nature of this roster, it's a new GM. So and what we know about Monty McNair is that he is willing to kind of pull the trigger if he thinks he's got the right deal. I think the, one of the problems with Vlade was he was attached to his guys. It was all about his guys, and he was going to ride or die with those the guys he drafted, the guys he selected. Um, Monty McNair has no such attachment, and so this team could easily bottom out. They should be tanking. They need another piece um, in the draft. And so I think uh, they should be in under and one of the worst teams in the West. So we agree yeah, there. I think this is Luke Walton's last year also. Yeah, this is gone. McNair lame duck season. coach, and, and that's mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and Kush says, under, sorry, Karthik. I'm not even sure why I took the under here, but I know I don't want to be sitting around hoping for the Kings to win to hit the over. I'll be beating myself up, so safer for my sanity to take the under. That sounds like the name of your biopic, sitting yeah. around and waiting for the Kings to win. Yeah, I they were one of my locks last season, the over. Um, that and Miami were the ones I actually put money on, made bets, uh, and... One went well, and obviously the Kings won, flamed out. So, yeah. All right, we got two more teams. We're almost there. So the San Antonio Spurs, they are were a 37-win team last year, 33.6 pace this year. Um, ninth in offense, 25th in defense, uh, bringing back the same cast of characters. Uh, DeRozan, Marcus Aldridge, DeJounte Murray, uh, Rudy Gay, Jacob Podol, um, Patty Mills, White, <laughs> Walker. It's like the exact same team. No, I don't think they really made any big additions or lost anyone, uh, but they're on pace for three fewer wins. And I will tell you I'm going under here. Now, it's disrespect to Pop that last year was a big disappointment for them, and I'm saying they're going to be even worse this year. But I think his ma- mentality, this whole team's mentality is going to be different. They're just... This is clearly the end of the the run. All these guys are not going to last another season. They're just going to play out the season and kind of sadly the San Antonio Spurs era. While it ended last year, at least they were frisky and were in the playoff hunt. I think this year they're not even going to be relevant. Um, I'm just going with the under. Last year gave me confidence to take the under this year because it was kind of like, you finally bet against Pop. It's the same way a lot of people are getting jumpy every time you bet against the Patriots this season, right? Because it's like, yep. until it happens, you can't happen. And I think I'm going under. The team is a mixture of these old vets that are going to demand minutes. The DeRozans, Aldridge, Gay, Patty Mills, and these young guys. The Lonnie Walkers, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, you know, the, uh, DeJounte Murray. 
And I don't know if that means there's going to eventually be a fire sale. Like three of those vets are on expiring deals. So does someone trade for Aldridge for the stretch run or for DeRozan for the stretch run thinking he's the missing piece? I'm suspected to believe which team would be like, let's give up assets for a guy for three months if one of those dudes could really change their fortunes. But you never know, right? Like maybe Boston looks at Aldridge and say, hey, that's a guy that we need um, as an extra big man. And for the reason of the roster uncertainty, for the reason of the fact that the bigs, sorry, the young players, the old players don't really match. And I'm not really even sure how good the young players are. Like we still haven't seen this improvement from DeJounte that we were told was coming. I know the ACL injury definitely kind of set him back a little bit. But because of that, I don't see what I'm getting with San Antonio that's going to get me to that 34 prorated win total. And so I'm going under. Yeah, nice. We agree. Well, uh, it's kind of sad, man, the way the Spurs have just kind of – I mean, last season it started, but a team with pop, a team that's consistently been – I don't forgot how many seasons in a row they made the playoffs are now kind of – Funny. And there's, no, and there's nothing even promising this year, right? It's not like, oh, they got a great draft pick. They got this young upcomer you know, uh, player who we can watch this season. It's like the same roster of just you know old guys. So yeah. i not excited about them. And Kush says over. He actually is going to go against us. He says this team is bad, but I'm going to go ahead and trust Pop. And who knows? Maybe DeRozan will come out uh, all angry at being ranked 82 in ESPN's top 100, and this team will do right. That was really offensive. We haven't spent enough time talking about how ridiculous that ranking was. He averaged 22 six and six last year. It wasn't like he was a scrub or he was hurt. You know, like he was a good productive player and it makes no sense. It was just like a total ricochet bullet that he caught. Yeah. But I mean, I've, I told you this, we should not put stock into that top 100 list. If we're going to start with DeRozan at 82, there's way more egregious things. I think, um, wasn't Zion, was he 19? Zion was 19. Yeah. Tyler hero was like 53, <laughs> which for the record, I'm saying is too high. If you're going to put DeRozan at 82, but yep. Anyway, last team. Last team. Let's do it. Utah Jazz. Uh, They are a 50-win team last year, projected for 48.4. Tenth in offense, 13th defense. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Michael Conley, Mike Conley, um, Ingles. Why don't you just give his social security, too? (laughs) Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal. They're bringing back Derek Favors, who used to be with the Jazz. Um, And they re-signed Jordan Clarkson, who made – Himself a nice payday with his play last year. Uh, I am going to go with the over. I actually think this team is, look, this is a classic every year. Pencil them in for 50 wins. I think last year they had some growing pains with Conley uh, early in the season. Uh, And I don't think he's, he's not the same guy he used to be, but I think now that he's been with that team for the season, it's going to be smoother sailing. They've got depth. They've got a pretty solid lineup. Clarkson was a big addition for them last year because really helped give them that scoring punch uh, off the bench that they sorely needed. And, you know, they, this team already lacks playmakers. Bogdanovich was solid, but I think um, this team's running it back. I, I like them doing exactly what they did last year. So they're projected for a two-win drop-off, presumably because the West is harder. But I like them kind of staying the course and, and being the same team. So over for me i went over as well to round it out here and i think the thing with utah is their biggest problem conley aside was that they were a train wreck with gobert off the floor 
Um, their their net rating plummeted. I think Gobert was one of the highest differentials in the league, and it goes to show you, of course, what a phenomenal defender he is, but also how little depth they had behind him. Tony Bradley wasn't really ready, and now he's in Philadelphia. I think he's a good young player, but Derek Favors is just going to stabilize the back line of that second unit so much more. Um, I thought they really missed Bogdanovich in the uh, in the bubble. A lot of their offense flows through him. He's a shot maker. He's efficient. Um, I think he took a lot of pressure off Ingles and Conley, especially as they struggled to shoot the ball. Hopefully that goes a little bit better, especially for Conley in year two. And Mitchell's a budding superstar, right? Mitchell took another step forward towards saying, hey, I'm arrived. I'm going to be an all-star every single season. And it's not just a flash in the pan. Um, and I think Utah is just a well-coached. Quinn Snyder is just a hard-playing team. And, you know, in terms of fans, they are one of the loudest fan bases, so they may miss that. Um, you know, playing in Utah with the altitude, with the fans is quite difficult. I'd be curious to see how that stuff normalizes over the course of the year. Um, but give me the over for Utah, and I, and I think I, I actually think they finish in the top four somewhere along with the Nugget, the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Lakers. I agree. I have them in my top four as well. Um, now, Kush, predictably, uh, says under. This team is boring. The state of Utah is no good, and I don't like Mitchell, so give me the under here. They also need to blow it up because this is another Portland situation. Starting to get that way. Can you believe Rudy Gobert turned down the regular max because he thinks I he's don't. the next player? I think that was bad advice um, from his agent, or I don't know what is going on there. Like, why not take the max? Like, this guy, you know, a lot has been made about his his actual value, uh, especially in postseason situations. The max is good. That's good money. I don't know why he's pushing for that yeah, super max. This is this is the problem with the super max when a guy like Gobert is demanding it, and you're you know you can't give it to him because you're going to be strapped. Um, but yeah. Definitely a problem, but I think I think it's just an early negotiation line. I would expect them to. I would be surprised if Utah goes much over the max in their next offer, but yeah, at least it anchors them up a little bit. So that's true. Well, so we we went through the the entire West. Um, Who are your locks? My locks were the Clippers, okay, over and the Pelicans under. Okay, so I was da- no, I was Denver over, Clippers over. Yeah. So I think the All biggest right. one we disagreed on was the Pelicans. So that'll be interesting. We're gonna ha- we're gonna track this. We'll provide you know maybe quarterly updates on how we're doing, what the records are, what the biggest disparities are, um, and it'll be fun to ridicule each other. And I know that I will get ridiculed for the Toronto under. I can tell you that right now. Yep, and we're also putting money on all these, I think, like we did last year. Um, so we got something at stake. We'll keep you posted on what happens. But uh, look, the season starts next week. I'm excited, man. Basketball really snuck up on us this time, given that we had a very short off season. But um, it's a great feeling right as the holidays are coming around. NBA's back on. We got some week weekday action besides just the NFL games on, on the weekend. So Looking forward to it. Hope everyone's still listening. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe. And um, anything else, Nathan? Anything you want to say? I was going to say have a great holidays. Enjoy Christmas basketball. I know a lot of people are probably going home or figuring out some alternate way to, to hang out with family. So stay safe and uh, 
it's a weird year. Um, we're driving to Virginia, which is something I'm not looking forward to. But oh, wow. I was thinking we should just record like a 10 hour episode right before <laughs> I leave, and then I, we could just listen to that on the way. And I'm sure my wife would be super pumped. Oh man, I yeah, I would not want to put her through that. But yes, uh, everyone enjoy the holidays, stay safe, and we will talk to you. Maybe not next week, but uh, definitely right out of the after the holidays.